I really want people to enjoy coming to work. I don't want to be in this industrial manufacturing setting. I want people to sit at their sewing machines and be able to see the mountains. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. When we last caught up with your founder and CEO, Mallory Oteriano, it was March of 2019, and the company was then named Kind Apparel. In the span of 10 years, Ewer has grown from a startup to a maturing company that is currently planning its own sustainable fashion manufacturing facility in Lola, Montana. To understand this popular and uniquely personal brand of women's activewear, you must get to know the woman behind it. Today on Can Do, Oteriana will share her story. We'll hear about her growth as an entrepreneur and get an inside look at her refreshingly independent and environmentally friendly approach to business. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. Mallory Terriano, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Ernie. So tell us a little about UR, spelled Y-O-U-E-R, for our listeners. Yes, yeah, so UR is the name of my apparel company. We are a small Missoula, Montana-based operation. We make clothes for our original individuals in a super sustainable way. So we make things that are athletically minded for people who identify as women. And we make them in the USA from recycled plastic bottles. Our vibe is super vibrant and colorful, and we have a lot of fun dressing ourselves. Now, when you were last on the show almost three years ago, in March of 2019, the company was called Kind Apparel. So why the transformation? Tell me a little about that. So Kind Apparel was very reminiscent of a brand that I started at 25 in my spare bedroom, selling everything myself. And over the years, I kind of outgrew the name. So it was time to elevate the brand, change the name, celebrate all the people who were part of it. Uh, It's definitely not the brand that it was when I was selling things in my spare bedroom. So this was sort of a nod to the thousands of women who have created Ewer and this acknowledgement that you are an individual. And you talk about thousands of women. So how big is your market? And, and is it a retail market? Is it an online market? Is it a mix of both? So the market is quite large because we kind of are a crossover brand. We d- dabble our feet in uh, fashion, individual style, but also also athletic and outdoor apparel. But at this point, we're probably serving about 10,000 women. We sell mostly through an e-commerce site, which is shopviewer.com, and then about 25 stores across the U.S. and Canada carry Ewer as well. 
And I'm fascinated by the fact that your products are made to some extent out of plastic water bottles that are recyclable. How did you come up with all of that? How did you figure that all out? Well, I guess to put it out there, I didn't figure out making fabric out of recycled plastic. That's been done. It's being done on a grander scale every day. But when I first started this brand, I was upcycling stuff. I was finding things at thrift stores, cutting them up, sewing new things out of it. So there was an inherently sustainable element to the brand. That wasn't scalable. So as I scaled, I knew I wanted a fabric that was produced in a responsible way. So first thing that came to mind was recycled fabrics. There were a lot of brands that I was familiar with that were doing it. So I knew that there was fabric on the market. And over the last seven years, that fabric has become more readily available. But we're now transitioning into different types of sustainable fabrics as well, because it's kind of Recycled fabric is now so commonplace in the outdoor and athletic industry that it's almost not enough. It's almost like the bare minimum you can do for sustainability. So we're actually using some other fabrics like bio nylons, which is actually a fermented nylon, kind of like kombucha. It's made in a lab and it's grown plastic, basically, which is pretty interesting. You've indicated that other companies are using recyclable materials and some of these other kinds of laboratory developed materials. But tell me more about what is unique about your brand for these 10,000 women who are buying it. It's a community. It, I really believe we're not a clothing brand. We're a brand that celebrates individuality. We, we don't make clothes. We make tools to express yourself with. And clothes just happen to be those tools at the moment. So I've created this really vibrant community surrounding bold and visually striking patterns and styles. That is certainly what sets us apart. There's not much that is proprietary about the fabrics we use or the types of styles we make, but what is really, really interesting and distinctive about Ewer is the patterns. They're all my artwork. They're crazy. They're wild. They're colorful. They're bold. They're abstract. And it's impossible to wear those without someone stopping you on the street and asking you where you got that. And so that whole conversational peer-to-peer element is what has created this, this vibrant community of women who like to support women and like to stand up from the crowd. And what products currently make up your catalog of, of offerings? We have a pretty tight offering, but we do a lot of leggings. We do a lot of skorts in the summer. We have some exercise dresses, a lot of fleece. We're actually custom milling our own fleece. So we have um, a fabric that is made just for us. So we do a lot of fleece dresses and hoodies, fleece lined leggings, pants, jogger pants, everything that's kind of relatable to this mountain lifestyle that we live here in Montana where And any given day, you might be on a trail run on the mountain, but then back at work at your desk and then maybe out to the brewery in the evening with friends. So we have very transitional styles. You mentioned a minute ago your products for now. Is there thought about expanding this catalog? Yeah, every season we add a couple new styles. We drop a couple styles. I'm constantly innovating and coming up with ideas. Right now I'm the head designer, so... Anytime I have an idea of something I want to see, I put it into action and we'll add a couple new things each season. Mallory, your background isn't in the rag trade. In fact, you have a BFA in architecture and design from UMass Amherst. How did your career focus come about? Honestly, 
It probably started when I was very young. I think some of our passions can really be traced back to childhood, but I've always, always, always been obsessed with style and fashion and clothes and making things that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. I was always putting together outfits and sewing and cutting things up as a kid because I really deeply desired to not look like everybody else. And that took me down the path of art. I started out at art school, transitioned to architecture for a more applied form of art, uh, dabbled a lot after college in architecture and design and a bunch of random jobs, but ultimately realized like my passion and my calling is clothes. I love clothes and uh, it very organically came about. Like just this passion that I have for making outfits and individualizing myself seemed to be something that other women wanted as well. So you're building the company, you're like a lot of new entrepreneurs kind of feeling your way, and then the COVID pandemic hits. What effect has that had on the company? I basically have built a new company out of it. Um, March 2020, I closed my office. I had a downtown Missoula uh, Montana showroom with office space, kind of these open offices where several of us were working. Um really changed up the team. The, the team got cut in half, went totally remote. Uh, we've been working just two of us at home ever since. We had enormous supply chain challenges where our main factory actually dropped us. And so we were without production for seven months, which meant no product, which meant no revenue, which meant a lot of sleepless nights and conversations about bankruptcy. Um, got involved in a lawsuit, which was really challenging with from mismanagement of materials by a vendor. It was 2020 was very grim. I did not think that I was going to have a company after that. And then I'd been planning on rebranding for quite some time and had this new brand in my in my back pocket and was ready to unveil it. But early 2020 just didn't feel right. So waited until the end of 2020 and in November rebranded got placed at a more reliable factory but throughout all of this realized that the number one priority of my brand is to get things made well and that's the number one responsibility and that responsibility was not being managed well by the people who were given it so i came to this conclusion that i had to take all of that into my own hands so since Late 2020, we've been actively working towards building a factory here locally outside Missoula, Montana, and it's a slow process, but uh, that has been the biggest realization of 2020 is taking more stuff in-house and being in more control of it. You've had a crowdfunding exercise, and how's that gone, and how has that contributed to your next, uh, you know, next steps? Yeah, so... It was no secret that we had production challenges in 2020 when we couldn't sell things. I just decided to keep people engaged and keep customers coming back. I was just going to start engaging people by having conversations. So I started talking about how stuff is made and supply chains and making supply chains not boring. And people got really invested in it. And everybody came to the realization of our digital community that it really was the best thing for you or to build a factory. And so harnessed that excitement from within our factory and ran a crowdfunding campaign of sorts on our own site that I called a CSA, 
which was a nod to the agricultural term. Um, but instead of standing for community-supported agriculture, our CSA was community-supported apparel. So over 550 people cumulatively contributed over $100,000 by buying a selection of products that I curated specifically for this 30-day event. And every dollar that was spent was an active vote for this community-supported factory that we will eventually build. And, and that money is going towards a down payment on a building that we'll be buying. So in the meantime, before that happens, are you selling product? Do you have inventory? Are, are you meeting your customers' needs now? Oh, yes. Yes. We had a very big year in 2021, which was really surprising. We more than doubled in revenue and that's put a lot of strain on our supply chain for sure. But we've transitioned to monthly product drops. So once a month, sometimes twice a month, we're releasing a whole new collection of stuff. People are getting super excited about it. Uh, we still have production rolling at two factories. One is outside of Portland, Oregon, and one is in Los Angeles. And that supply chain is working well for us at the moment as we gradually transition things to our local facility once that's up and running. Only about 2% of clothes that we buy in the U.S. are made in the United States. Why is that? And why do you think you can buck that trend? Yeah, a lot of it is because of labor and trade regulations. In the 90s, a lot more, prior to the 90s, many more clothes were made here. And trade regulations made it pretty unprofitable for things to be made here and much more profitable for things to be made in Asia. And large brands took their production offshore, which resulted in lost jobs, an enormous amount of lost manufacturing jobs in America, and essentially the demise and death of that industry. And it's really coming back because consumers deeply care about how and where things are made. That's not to say that there isn't stellar manufacturing in Asia. There 100% is. But there's an awareness of consumerism now where carbon footprint is so important to people. How far goods are traveling during their stages of production is super important to people. And so having things made locally, regionally, domestically is incredibly important to the consumer. And it's reviving an industry that typically that previously was a huge piece of American identity. You're now moving aggressively towards manufacturing production here in Montana. How are you learning about how to do that? It's not your background. I'm making it all up as I go. <laughs> I do have I do have mentors for sure. None of them have built a factory. Um, so a lot of that is just learning as I go, uh, working with the other gal on my team who has a lot more experience in production management than I do and trying things and knowing that we're going to have to throw a lot of stuff at the wall before something sticks. Um, but we can only prepare so much, uh, apparel manufacturing is an industry that essentially doesn't exist in Montana. So we're building from the ground up and, and being pretty open about we don't know what we don't know, and we're just going for it. And are you anticipating that you will have the capability and the capacity to manufacture for other small entrepreneurs who might have an interest to produce locally? 100%. Yep. That's a big piece of this for me, something I'm really passionate about. We have 
essentially three different phases for the opening and transition of this facility. And to start, we're going to do about 30% of viewers production. We'll still keep our other manufacturing partners. Um, but the additional phases do involve bringing on other brands, ex except we want to get really, really good at doing our own stuff first, because the whole piece of this was to maintain control. However, as a small brand trying to make things, it's pretty expensive because factories place what are called MOQs, which are minimum order quantities on you. So you can't go to a factory and say, I want to make 50 t-shirts. They're going to say, you need 25 extra smalls, you need 100 smalls, you need 200 mediums, and they have these minimums that you have to hit. And that's a big investment if you haven't been in the market yet and you don't know if those things are going to sell or people are going to like them. So I would like to provide an opportunity for lower MOQs and brands who are emerging to grow and really nail their production um, and saturate a market before they kind of extend themselves financially. I'm speaking with Mallory Oteriano, founder and CEO of Ewer. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Link, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at ParsonsBailey.com. You've raised $100,000, but that's probably not enough to fund the whole vision. Where's the rest of the funding going to come from? A good chunk of it is going to come from the profits of the company over the last seven years. I have a, a pretty good stash saved up from that. Bank financing, we have a local bank partner that we'll lean on very heavily. And as we transition through our phases with this growth, um, especially the phase in which we would bring on other brands, we'll most likely be seeking private investment. As you're growing and changing, where do you get your design inspiration? The world around me. I consume a lot of content. I like to look at things. I like to read things. I like to watch things. I don't travel so much these last two years, but going to different places is inspiring. I like to see what people are doing around me, and that inspires me to come up with ideas that I might like to try out on my own. I I definitely like to immerse myself in, in culture and visual culture and uh, get inspired in that capacity. And does that still fit in with this concept of sustainable fashion? And, and, and maybe you can explain a little bit more to, to our listeners what sustainable fashion really means. Yeah, there can be such a broad definition. Sustainable fashion in a grander sense really means having a low having your closet have a low impact on the world around you and that doesn't mean that everything in your closet has to come from a small brand it's expensive to buy from small brands because of the way we make things it's having a sustainable closet or sustainable fashion could simply mean that you maybe wear the same outfit twice a week maybe it does mean that your leggings that you wore to the gym this morning are made from recycled plastic bottles. Or maybe it means that your blazer was made by a local seamstress who sells one-of-a-kind pieces. It really just comes down to the awareness of the consumer. I think that's really the broader definition of sustainable fashion. 
understanding who it impacts and who made it and where they exist in the world and caring about the lives of the people who made it happen. From the beginning, you've had a very strong online community, but you also had retail presence. How has COVID affected that and how do you see that mix between online and and retail in-store sales in the future? Well, 85% of Ewer's sales come directly from Ewer's website. So a pretty small percentage is from stores. We have about 25 stores across the country. And during the pandemic, yeah, a couple brands canceled orders, but honestly, a lot of that was because we couldn't fulfill them because we could not get our stuff made. The majority of our retailers are small specialty outdoor stores and people got outside during the pandemic. The outdoor industry experienced a huge boom, huge growth. Our e-commerce retail presence definitely experienced huge growth. And it was pretty exciting to see that our small retailers were really able to survive and often thrive during the pandemic because of the transition of where people were spending their time. So during this extended pandemic, which we're still in in the midst of, what's been the biggest surprise or the biggest learning experience that you've had to grapple with? That every day is completely unexpected and um, just kind of taking things one day at a time. I've reassessed my definition of growth for sure, both personally and professionally. I, prior to 2020, really wanted to build a billion-dollar brand, and I don't want that anymore. It'd be great if that happened for sure, but I just want a deeply profitable brand, and growth to me no longer means this Silicon Valley image of higher revenue and like startup cultures that get an IPO. It just means having sustainable growth and it means personal growth and it means development and it means community. And I think there's been for me this focus more on the quality instead of the quantity. And we have a, we have a, a small tight customer base who really show up and that's really powerful to me. As you move forward, is Lolo, Montana the best base you could be operating out of in terms of hiring employees and, and you know, construction and distribution to clients and customers? How does that fit in? What's your thinking? The short answer is no, it is not the best place. I happen to live in Lolo. Uh, it's a very small town. There's less than 4,000 people here. We're on the outskirts of Missoula, which is a larger city of about 75, 80,000. That would be a more desirable location. The property that I've attempted to purchase has been in Lolo simply because it's convenient for me and it's stunning. I really want people to enjoy coming to work. I don't want to be in this industrial manufacturing setting. I want people to sit at their sewing machines and be able to see the mountains. So the Missoula area, greater Missoula County, is where I'm focusing efforts for building this, just simply because it's geographically convenient to me. But is Montana the best location for this? Definitely not. It's super challenging. We don't have the type of workforce here for apparel manufacturing, but I'm going to create it, I guess. So every day is a new experience. There are lots of challenges. There are lots of unknowns. Where do you get your motivation and inspiration to tackle this on an ongoing basis? 
a couple places. I think part of the exciting thing about entrepreneurship, maybe the most exciting thing, is that you're always doing stuff that you've never done before. So every morning I wake up inspired to try something new. I love learning and I love challenging myself. And there's never a day that feels stagnant or a week or chunk of weeks or months where I feel like I'm doing the same stuff. I don't get bored. My job is so fun and so interesting and challenges me so much that that inspires me to show up. And I have really awesome role models in my life. My parents are the same type of personalities that I am. My dad has been self-employed since he was in his early 20s, and he's a big motivator for me. And just what what my parents have built together is um, inspiring to me for sure. I get a lot of inspiration from other business owners and people who are just kind of following this idea that they don't have an understanding of how it will turn out. It's It's sort of just like it's almost as if you like closed your eyes and tried to work every day. That's how it feels sometimes being an entrepreneur. And I find that exciting. So what advice can you share with our listeners about starting up a retail company as a sole practitioner? And, you know, what have you learned? You're in front of an audience of, of, uh, of newbies. What do you tell them? What's your, what's your, what's your advice? Don't overthink it. I think that's something that I always try to, impress upon people. I think if you're trying to start something, it's inherently human to think that you have to have all the stuff figured out before you dive in and every piece has to be perfect before you launch something. And just experiment. I think life is one big experiment. Business ownership and entrepreneurship is one giant experiment. And just like have fun with it. Don't take it too seriously and understand that you're going to fail but failure has a very different definition in business, at least I think. I don't think failure is like this end point. Failure is an, a learning opportunity for you to try something different the next time and improve upon it. So reframing definitions is a big thing too. Mallory, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and learn about what you're doing. You know, Good luck in 2022 and, and thanks uh, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Arnie. It was really fun talking to you as always. I appreciate your listening to Can Do, produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guests' contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time and I'll talk with Dr. Michael Fenster about culinary medicine. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity. <laughs>